Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The Ayatollah regime in Tehran is surely taking stock these days as much like everyone else around the globe. It anxiously awaits the outcome of the presidential and congressional elections in the United States. On the positive side of the ledger, from its point of view, it did not concede defeat even under the most severe sanctions imposed on its economy in the American maximum pressure. Offsetting it, the Iranians are watching the emergence of an American-Israeli Arab Gulf alliance against their militant outreach. So what is the score at this time in the contest? To discuss this topic, we're joined from Washington, D.C. in the United States by Mr. Robert Silverman, who is a lecturer at Shalem College and former president of the American Foreign Service Association. Welcome. Thank you. Also joining us from Central Israel is Dr. Menachem El-Khavi, who is a research fellow at the Truman Institute at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Shalom. Thank you. Glad to be here. And uh, joining us uh, here at the studio in Jerusalem is our TV7 analyst, Mr. Amir Oren. Give us a broader understanding today, of course, uh, uh, the elections in the United States uh, having great impact, uh, not only on the Middle East, but on the whole world. But this, of course, uh, will uh, impact also the situation with regard to Iran. So that uh, sound, which uh, metaphorically we are all hearing in the background, must be a sigh of relief. Um, which the Iranians are now uh, sounding because uh, they have managed uh, to uh, undertake the last four years uh, where they were under pressure. Uh, Their prized um, agreement, the JCPOA of uh, 2015, uh, has been aborted, and yet uh, they survived. Now, they suffered several setbacks, um, especially over the last uh, year or so, uh, the assassination of Qasem Soleimani, uh, Israeli attacks uh, on their efforts to entrench their forces in Syria, and uh, lately, as you mentioned, the uh, normalization agreements uh, with Israel signed by the UAE and Bahrain. And all of that, of course, uh, is detrimental to their policy. But nevertheless, they did not uh, give up. And uh, not only that, over the last several months, they managed not to provoke the Trump administration to attack them. They did not give any pretext uh, to anyone uh, who wished them uh, ill uh, to uh, start uh, a strike uh, against them. Now, uh, recently, the director of national intelligence uh, in the United States Um, did point out that uh, Iranians uh, have been hacking uh, the email system of some voters in Florida in in some scheme. But this was overshadowed by what the uh, Russians have been doing. So all in all, if um, uh, Mohammad Javad Zarif and his friends um, at the Iranian foreign ministry and uh, President Rouhani and others are uh, now uh, looking uh, back and perhaps forward, they can say that the future may be 
not as bleak as the recent past and the present. Maybe not uh, overshadowed, but has been amplified by people of interest in the United States, because as uh, the director of national intelligence in the United States uh, stated very specifically, uh, even though both Iran and Russia have attained information on voters and uh, start, uh, the Iranians have uh, used that information to sow discourse as opposed to the Russians, which uh, the United States did not have necessarily uh, information about uh, uh, what was happening behind uh, closed doors. But uh, I'd like to receive uh, specifically Dr. Merhabi, the, the Iranian perspective right now. Uh, to what degree are they uh, really concerned with uh, the outcome of the elections? Of course, they've been meddling in the elections, but at the same time, uh, there it seems to be uh, a lot of voices from Iran saying, regardless of whomever is going to be chosen in the United States, relations between Tehran and Washington are not really going to change. Well, I might uh, believe the end of uh, what you've said, that relations will not change dramatically, at least. Uh, but uh, you're right, you were referring maybe to the uh, declaration of the spokesperson of the government, Khabib, who said it doesn't matter who sits in the White House, uh, whoever is going to return to the JCPOA so will be ready to do so. However, I think it would be uh, far from uh, realistic to think that they don't care who sits in the White House. They very much do. And I think it uh, impacts them tremendously um, because, as you said, the pressure on, on the Islamic Republic has been tremendous in the last four years. Uh, and they do, uh, I, I would say, wish very much uh, for a return to the agreement. Uh, however, I also think that the, being realistic, they know that the agreement might have to be, uh, well, uh, changed uh, and the, some, some conditions in the agreement might change. And that's not going to be to their benefit. So I think that's why they try to be very cautious, um, knowing that Biden is, after all, is uh, surrounded by people, some of whom were very active in putting together the agreement. Um, and yet also knowing that the Trump administration, even if it goes, uh, you know, and, and, and out of office uh, soon, uh, it, some of its impact, some of its legacy is going to remain. Uh, in other words, they know that the agreement, the way it had been uh, signed with the Obama administration might not be valid anymore, and they need to uh, to see how they change it to, with, I would say, the lesser effect on them. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Silverman, I'd like to receive your perspective as a, a former senior service member in the State Department in the Foreign uh, <coughs> Service of the United States. Uh, to what degree, as also Dr. Melchavi alluded to this uh, uh, just now, uh, will the, the U.S. policy really fundamentally change in the first term, or uh, is there going to be a certain process before the, the so-called uh, Biden administration, if it would emerge uh, uh, following today's election? Uh, we cannot know, of course, it's uh, too soon to tell, uh, but uh, let's say hypothetically, if uh, Biden wins, will there be a shift? And uh, from the other side around, if uh, Trump is reelected right now, to what degree does the Trump administration have the capacity to ratchet up even more pressure on the Ayatollah regime? Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, well, that, that is the key question. What would be the difference between the two administrations? And my instincts are that although the rhetorical differences are large, the practical on the ground differences may not be. 
in the end so different. Uh, it boils down to this. Uh, how do you boil a frog through sanctions? You do it slowly. Uh, and that is, you ratchet up the pressure so that gradually, gradually, the temperature of the water is increasing and eventually the frog is boiled. And so I think that's what we see with Iran right now under the Trump administration. Uh, there have been a series of very tough sanctions that have been imposed, including uh, October 25th, last week. Uh, the uh, Trump administration's new Iran czar, Elliot Abrams, has announced new sanctions on uh, Iran's oil industry, the National Oil Company, the National Tanker Company, the Petroleum Ministry, all under counterterrorism sanctions, meaning that they, because they're, of their ongoing, uh, very close relations with the Iranian Revolutionary Guards and with the Al-Quds force of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, these entities, the oil entities, have been sanctioned as a counterterrorism measure. Now, those are very hard to undo, and so these are new sanctions that uh, a Biden administration, if he were uh, to win the elections today, uh, would inherit. And so um, Iran's oil exports are already down uh, in 2020 dramatically, but they're continuing. Uh, uh, they sell oil particularly to China, to Venezuela, Syria. So uh, but these sanctions that the U.S. has announced will make it even harder. These come on top of other unilateral sanctions on the Iranian financial system. So very gradually, gradually, you see uh, the U.S. imposing a, a wide array of very tough sanctions designating specific individuals in the Iranian government uh, who are key to their economy. And I have seen, uh, as a diplomat, the results of long-term tough US, U.N sanctions and U.S. sanctions. In Iraq, the, Iran's neighbor suffered uh, 12 years from the first Gulf War to the second Gulf War, very tough sanctions. And when we, and I was one of them, uh, U.S. officials entered Iraq after, in 2003, after 12 years of very tough sanctions, you saw the devastating effect that has on a country. And Iran is, is, is in the process of getting that kind of treatment. So, this boiling process under the Trump regime is ongoing. If uh, we have a President Biden and his administration, they have already signaled, as others have said here, as uh, Menachem has said, that they will be prepared to enter, uh, re-enter the Joint uh, Comprehensive Plan of Action, the JCPOA, but that they also want to renegotiate it because re they recognize that there are problems with it. So they're prepared to renegotiate uh, this uh, 2015 deal with Iran, assuming Iran is prepared itself to re-enter the deal. But uh, so the question is whether that renegotiation would result in a new tougher agreement. If not, then the uh, uh, Biden regime would also be involved in a very tough sanctions because they're, they would invoke snapback sanctions. They have re-entered the deal. And once you've re-entered the deal, you're allowed to re-invoke uh, sanctions if the other side isn't, isn't uh, complying. So uh, it could well be that a Biden administration ends up in the same place as the Trump administration. Indeed. 
Mr. Olgan, I, I had the opportunity to speak with uh, some senior European officials uh, who work in uh, their respective uh, uh, EU member states uh, on all that pertains uh, to Iran, including uh, a senior official from uh, the European Union institution uh, that uh, uh, really provided me with some kind of perspective on uh, the following. They said that if the Trump administration enters there will be a continuity to the current situation in which uh, the Trump administration will continue to exert pressure on uh, the Islamic Republic. And uh, Europe would be somewhat complacent uh, uh, to uh, reactions because other than really informing uh, the organizations in the respective European nations, there is not much else to do because nobody wants to be under uh, American sanctions at uh, the present time or at any time for that matter. Uh, but if the Biden administration enters and demands to renegotiate a deal with the Iranians, this might constitute actually a European entry into the American position, which may even ratchet up uh, the, the sanctions more and apply additional pressures on uh, the Iranians. So it seems like uh, there is no win-win uh, situation for the Iranians. They either come to the negotiating table to renegotiate or suffer the consequences of such a sanctions regime that they have not experienced thus far. How do you see the Iranians actually deal with such a situation? And uh, of course, it's too early to tell, but uh, if indeed they, they are entering into a longer period of, of crippling sanctions, is the Ayatollah regime really capable of surviving such a, a prolonged uh, uh, situation of basically economic hopelessness uh, while still investing substantially in its foreign policy and military hardware? So you're uh, raising uh, several interrelated issues. Uh, for instance, uh, you mentioned the Europeans. The United States under Trump uh, was not able to isolate Iran. Perhaps it was the other way around because of the uh, conflicts between the administration and uh, its uh, NATO allies and European Union allies on several fronts, not necessarily Iran, uh, the uh, climate uh, uh, policy uh, and, and several uh, others. If uh, there is a new policy, not necessarily a new administration, could be uh, a second Trump term, but with different people, he has already signaled that he is going to change the uh, top echelon of his foreign policy and national security staff, um, new people could bring in uh, new policies. Uh, if you uh, still remember Mr. Tillerson, his first Secretary of State, he had another policy than Mr. Pompeo, his second and current uh, Secretary of State vis-a-vis uh, -vis Iran as well as vis-a-vis -vis other issues. Now, another uh, problem is that even if we know by tomorrow or uh, later this week who won the White House, we don't know, as of now, of course, who is going to win the Senate. Uh, we could have uh, a Republican president and a Democratic-controlled Senate or the other way around. If one party controls both, you are going to have some stability, some solid U.S. policy vis-a-vis uh, -vis Iran. And another issue is that if Biden comes in, he will probably try, at least uh, during his first months in office, to concentrate on domestic affairs. 
Now, it doesn't mean that he can control the agenda because foreign events can force themselves on him, much like 9-11 changed uh, President uh, George W. Bush's agenda. But uh, if he uh, has some control over his uh, schedule, his itinerary, Iran may not be top of his list. And one last point, last month on October the 18th, the Iranians won something in the Security Council. They have managed uh, to get uh, out of the embargo on the defense relationship, both export and import with the world. The United States tried unsuccessfully to uh, win this round by being both in and out of the JCPOA. It didn't work. Uh, the snapback was mentioned. You can't have a snapback if you're out of the JCPOA. Even when the Rome of the 21st century is the one adhering to those snapback sanctions and anybody around uh, who dares to defy uh, that same Rome of the 21st century will be subject to sanctions that they don't want to enter into? Yes, but we, uh, we in Israel especially, uh, have learned the lessons of the secondary boycott and the tertiary boycott when the uh, Arabs tried to boycott not only Israel, but also companies dealing with Israel and companies dealing with companies dealing with Israel. There are so many loopholes. Um, so many uh, products are fungible, not only money, not only oil. There are ways to get around uh, the sanctions. And uh, what is most important is that Washington does not want to be in a constant conflict with countries which should be its allies. Indeed. Dr. Merhavi, how do you perceive the Iranian perspective to this? Uh, do you think that the Iranians are indeed uh, uh, in, in the process of licking their wounds? We see, of course, uh, the, the movement of uh, forces uh, to the northern uh, border with Azerbaijan, while at the same time, trying to keep uh, the situation domestically under control with uh, new spikes and in, in reported uh, high-level death toll uh, in, in all that pertains to uh, COVID uh, and uh, the ramifications thereof. Where is the regime currently stated at? And do you see other countries in the region, namely Turkey and, and Russia, eyeing maybe uh, more influence in Iran? Of course, we, we know that the Chinese are very keen on bolstering their position vis-a-vis -vis Iran? Well, yes, uh, there is a certain, uh, you know, voice in Iran uh, that uh, negates any serious Chinese purchases, for example, or any uh, Chinese control over uh, infrastructure. It has been voiced a few times when China was interested in uh, trying to run or purchase, you know, large uh, infrastructure um, uh, facilities in the Gulf. Uh, I think two two important points to um, to look at at this point is one, uh, if and again at this point it seems uh, pretty likely that Biden is elected president, it's not only good news to Iran. It's not that they're going to celebrate and uh, well they can't open champagne because it's uh, it's alcohol. <laughs> but other than that, uh, it's it's not going to be that simple there because uh, Biden's administration might be a little softer with Iran. However, it's going to have a much easier access to convince Europe, for example, to join it if it saw Iran uh, not carrying out its role in a renewed JCPOA. In other words, while the Trump administration was very tough with Iran, 
it's uh, the cleavage, the schism between it and Europe was very evident, not to mention other uh, forces around the world like China and Russia. And the Even Biden administration the might have Europe. a little easier uh, time with that. So I'm, I'm saying that it seems like European capitals are bolstering relations now with the Trump administration because also about uh, the, the tensions with Turkey, for instance, which may also have consequences on uh, what they may have to give the Trump administration with all that pertains to Iran. Right. Yes, this is true. And, 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 and the other element I want to emphasize is that tr Trump, even if, if he, uh, let's say, was one term and that's it, Part of his legacy will remain. I mean, the fact that he, uh, at the very last minute, so to speak, in the White House, if it is, uh, um, succeeded in tying uh, officially Israel with some uh, Gulf countries uh, and others might join. This is a big setback for Iran, which has been uh, seeing it, and rightly so, as, as a finger in the eye in a way. Uh, and that's something that might serve um, Israel uh, in the future and other anti-Iranian forces, even if someone else is in the White House. This is not going to change so easily. Indeed. Mr. Silverman, I'd like to ask you about uh, the, the growing competition between superpowers. The, the competition between the United States and China is not going to subside. Of course, Russia is not really regarded as a superpower and is, uh, uh, as such, not really uh, a concern in Washington at this stage uh, when we're talking about uh, global affairs. But uh, at the same time, there is a watchful eye in the direction of Moscow. Uh, but uh, specifically with regard to Iran, uh, the growing entry of China into Iran, which is uh, seemingly uh, progressing regardless of the outcome of today's election, uh, it seems to me that it doesn't matter if it's a Trump administration or a Biden administration, the growing influence of China in Iran will ratchet up American efforts to stem that influence, uh, regardless of Iran itself. Uh, it's more about superpower geopolitics uh, that have nothing to do with the regional powers at play. Right. And the Iran-China uh, relationship is a concern. It will be a concern of whoever is in the White House. As you know, China is by far the largest investor in Iran. And uh, the largest, at any given time, the largest um, buyer of Iranian oil. So, and that relationship is partly because the rest of the world has stood back while uh, the Iran sanctions were in place, but China never did. And so China uh, has been busy buying up as much as they can in Iran because it's a a relatively empty competition. There are not many other purchasers for Iran's uh, infrastructure, as, and so China is there. Uh, I would say this about Russia. As, Iran, as Amir noted, the UN arms embargo on Iran that had been in place for 13 years, so much prior to the JCPOA, expired uh, in October. So that uh, the one concern there and the U.S. has signaled that it is going to maintain um, arms embargo. So countries in Europe uh, and elsewhere that want to sell weapons to Iran will have to watch out uh, for U.S. Uh, counter sanctions against them for doing so. But the one big uh, concern there is the sale of potential sale of Russia's uh, S-300 uh, air missile defense system to Iran. If after the expiration of the U.N. 
arms embargo, uh, Russia proceeds uh, to to do its sale uh, with an air missile defense system to Iran. That would be a concern for the world. That's so 400 specifically. Aspect. And uh, yes, it's possible that a Biden administration will be more successful in mobilizing international support to put pressure on both Russia and China uh, when it comes to Iran. I mean, the key pressure, which we saw in the early uh, Obama years, was you, you put sanctions on other countries, uh, U.S. sanctions on other countries for their dealings with Iran. And so you make the country, whether it's China, whether it's Germany, uh, think, are we going to jeopardize our relationship, our trade relationship with the U.S. Uh, for this sale in Iran? And so the uh, first administration of the Obama years uh, did that, and that led to the JCPOA. So we'll see uh, whether uh, that kind of pressure can be implemented again on China and Iran, and China and Russia. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Olin, let's bring Israel into the picture. Of course, uh, as uh, Mr. Silverman also noted, uh, they are in uh, Tehran keen on acquiring the S-400, uh, specifically uh, uh, if it's possible on, on the Russian part, which would then uh, bolster Iranian aerial defenses uh, from a potential strike by either American or Israeli uh, uh, air forces. But, uh, of course, they're also looking at other aspects of deterrence, uh, which includes the supersonic surface-to-surface -surface, uh, uh, missiles, which may target then uh, naval vessels, uh, which uh, uh, the, the Chinese and uh, the Russians have developed for the course of many years, and the Americans have abandoned that area of uh, naval uh, defense uh, in order to uh, invest in, in other sectors. How do you see uh, all those investments of Iran, even though it's it's uh, short on money on, on uh, taking care of its own citizens at this stage, uh, challenge Israel's capacity to deter the Islamic Republic from it attacking Israel? Well, if uh, one can imagine um, a brainstorming session at the Israeli general staff headquarters, they would root for Iran to buy the S-400. First of all, because uh, whatever is being invested in a defensive system would not go to offensive systems able to reach Israel and uh, hit either population centers, air force bases, or infrastructure targets. But secondly, because the Israeli Air Force has already learned this system, has probably devised ways around it, and when it gets the tankers, the air refueling planes from the United States could come around and the S-400 system is not 360 degrees. It is pointed in a certain direction. So it would not be of much use to Iran. It would be symbolic. It may give the Iranians a false sense of security. But that's about it. Well, unfortunately, this is all the time that we have for today. We will revisit this topic in the near future. But I'd like to thank Mr. Silverman, Dr. Melchavi, and Mr. Owen for joining us for today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. 
For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.